Thank you for joining us today at Watkinsville. And this is Pastor Carlos Sibley, pastor here. And I want to take just a moment to thank you for listening to the messages. I hope they're helpful. I hope they're encouraging. I want to tell you also about something new that we're doing as a church, and that is a monthly podcast. We're calling that It's All About Life. It's an attempt for us to say more about what's going on in the life of our church. I hope that you find it helpful to connect you more to the life of Watkinsville. I also want you to know that the sermons that you've been listening to at this location will move to that channel, and you can search that by looking up It's All About Life. Uh, the podcast will be there each month as well as the sermons each week from our services that take place on our church property. So thank you for being a part of what God's doing here, and I hope this continues to be helpful for you in the weeks ahead. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter, the New Testament book of 1 Peter. If you're new to the Bible, just, just go toward the back and just work your way back toward the front. It's no shame in just looking up the page number in the front of your Bible where the table of contents are. Find the letter written by the Apostle Peter to churches that were scattered. A, a, a lot of different believers in different regions would receive this letter. Would have this letter, would have this letter read to them, and we have God's word preserved for eternity and here for us, the living word of God to to study, to hear, to read, and to apply to our lives today. And we come here in First Peter. We'll be in chapter five. We are bringing to a close our 21 days of prayer. Officially, you would say that formal time of 21 days of prayer uh, concluded yesterday, but uh, we continue this morning looking at another one another command, another one another uh, verse of instruction. Uh, and it really doesn't end with today we go right into tonight with a gathering in this room we're just calling a worship night and we'll sing the songs that we've sung this month and worship the Lord in song worship the Lord in prayer I'll speak for a little bit during that time we start at six tonight uh, if you need uh, child care we have that tonight up through three years old but Miss Gail needs to know before you leave today that you would need that child care. So be sure and, and register there for child care. But tonight in this room at 6 o'clock and more of what we have experienced this morning in song, just some extended time to do that and worship the Lord and be an encouragement to one another. We started this time back at the 1st of January talking about the one another statement to love one another and we're making the case that as we live out other one another statements in scripture that they actually serve to define and to describe what it looks like practically to love one another 
And when we think about loving one another, one word is key to understanding what it means to love one another. And that's the word sacrifice. Jesus gave his life. He sacrificed his life. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And we know that the way that he's loved us is by sacrificing his life, leaving heaven, taking on flesh, enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we think about loving one another as we work through uh, these different one another uh, statements from the New Testament. And we begin to see that in our uh, relationships with one another, we are applying our relationship with Jesus Christ. What we have experienced in him and through him and with him becomes what is fleshed out in our relationships with other people. And there's no better example of that than when uh, we pray for one another. And we learn in Scripture that Jesus Christ prayed for us first. We learn in Scripture in Romans that he is at the right hand of the Father uh, making intercession for us. And so when we're praying for others, we're taking up the activity of Christ. When he instructs us to forgive one another, we're able to uh, forgive one another because he has forgiven us. And we see that he has taken our sin and borne our sin, borne our offenses, and it gives us the ground to forgive others. And so throughout these one another statements, uh, we have this call from God's word that to live Christianly, if you will, or to live godly lives is for us to... Uh, relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and in cases we've learned also outside of brothers and sisters in Christ uh, loving them through these one another statements the last one another statement or command that we're looking at today is found here in first Peter chapter 5 and we find out that it requires a certain uh, dress code it requires a certain dress code. Uh, many of you in this room know the name Jason Dominey. It's possible, he, I don't know if he's in the room today. It's always possible that he, he would be, but um, if he's not, you can tell him I talked about him this morning, right? But 20 years ago, I met uh, in a lunch meeting with Jason. It was actually, believe it or not, a, a snowy day. And we sat down to have a conversation about him serving on our church staff as a worship pastor. And so I got together with him, and we were just talking through that. I, it was a new relationship. And we were at Mexicali Grill on Atlanta Highway. Some of you miss it, don't you? And uh, I do. And we were, I think, that, that little storefront where Honey Baked Ham is now, that's where that Mexicali Grill was and I met Jason there and we sat down to eat and after a little while the server was at our table and and we'd been there for a few minutes and just out of nowhere the server looks at Jason then he looks at me and he and the server says to me are you a preacher and and I I looked up and I smiled big and I said well 
yes, I am. Tell me where we've met. And uh, he said, oh, I, we've never met. And I was just like, okay. And uh, he walked away, and Jason was just like, that was, that was funny. That was weird. And the guy comes back, and I said, hey, I, I just got to ask. You asked me if I was a preacher. How did you know that? Why did you ask? And he said, I could tell by the way you're dressed. And he walked away, and I thought, there was nothing he could have said worse in the presence of Jason Dominey than that statement. And for 20 years, he wrote me about, you dress like a preacher. You dress, I have no idea what I had on that day. I know I didn't have a tie or a black coat on. I, I don't know what it was. But um, it, I just, it was striking to me that in this guy's mind or image, well, however my style was that day, he thought he must be a preacher. And I think about that, and, and I, I come to this thought of, uh, is there a chance that somebody would walk up to us and say, are you a Christian? Are, are you a Christ follower? And I'd say, yeah, tell me where we've met. No, I haven't met you. Well, why do you ask? Because I could, I could tell by the way you're dressed. And there is, there is a description here in 1 Peter 5 that speaks about how we are to clothe ourselves as followers of Christ. How we're to dress. Now, I'm not talking about wool and cotton and silk polyester this morning you know that I, the, 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 the word of God on multiple occasions actually in the New Testament talks about us, us clothing ourselves as followers of Christ and talks about how we dress ourselves there's that vivid uh, clear uh, application there in Ephesians 6 where he talks about us putting on the armor of God clothing ourselves with the armor of God and in First Peter chapter 5, we have this instruction of what it looks like to dress like a Christian. What it looks like to dress like a follower of Christ. As, let me read this text. Uh, I'll start in verse 1, read down through uh, verse 7. So I exhort you, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. I want to hang today's message on six words that all start with the letter A. 
and just work through these verses uh, with that being our God as we think about clothing ourselves with humility, how we clothe ourselves toward, with humility toward one another. First of all, the audience. Uh, who, who is the audience for this, these verses, this instruction? It starts off here in the book of 1 Peter as a very broad audience. Back in chapter 1, you see, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. You see a, a broad audience. And then you come to chapter 5, and there's a little bit of a narrowing of the audience. And he moves from talking to believers as a whole to talking to the leaders of the churches in those regions. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And he gives instruction that as a, as a, as a shepherd of the flock, that you're to shepherd willingly, eagerly, and as an example of Christ. And then it moves from the audience in those verses being the, the leaders or the shepherds of those churches to speaking to a, a younger generation, a, a younger group of people. I, I don't know why he doesn't uh, highlight uh, specific ages, like he doesn't say median adults or youth group. He, he, he goes from addressing leaders then to addressing those that were younger, maybe had some knowledge or information of where there was difficulty in relationships. But he narrows the uh, audience here and he says in verse 5, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. And you see kind of a multi-generational church. You see the presence of those that would be older, that would be leaders. You see the presence of those that would be younger, maybe have not known Christ or walked with Christ as, as long. And, and it says, here's how leaders and followers work together in the church. The leaders serve willingly, eagerly, and examples as examples of Christ. And then if you're younger, subject yourself to those that are your elders. And then verse 5 says, clothe yourselves. And, and you... If you're reading fast, you, you, might, um, you might skip over the next three words and just see, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another and, and miss the fact that he's gone from speaking to just the shepherds of the flock or speaking to just the younger ones in the flock to actually speaking to everyone in the flock, both leaders, both shepherds, and those that are to subject themselves to the leaders. And he says, clothe yourselves. And then right there it is, all of you, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he shows us by speaking to the audience here that there is something that every one of us are to do. And, and actually what he the application that he gives or the metaphor that he gives is that whether leader or follower, we're all supposed to dress alike. Now, it's funny to think about that in a, in a practical sense. I kept thinking this week about um, when choirs wore robes and how uh, 
I, I grew up in that world, and in our church, you recruited anybody that could stand and be still long enough to stand in front of the church to be in the choir. There's only 120 on a, on a good year, and there were about 17 of us in the choir, and, and we'd get there early, and no matter what you wore to church, I, I can remember they were uh, ivory-colored robes with some, most Sundays a, a red sash and on the big days, you flip the sash over and they were gold. And, uh, but you look at the choir and everybody was dressed the same. And uh, the, the picture here is that for leaders and followers, we, we, we spiritually, uh, mind-wise, heart-wise, we, we, we dress in the same way. It's for all of us. So don't miss the fact that as we speak about this one another, that he's bringing the leaders together with the followers, and he says all of us have something to wear. Well, let's talk about the attire. That's the second word, the attire. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. These are very picturesque Greek words that are used here. And this word clothe yourselves does remind us of different places in scripture where we're told to uh, clothe ourselves, dress ourselves. Uh, but this particular Greek word that is translated clothe yourselves is only used here in the New Testament. In fact, when you trace the history of the word, you find out that it was a working class word. Like, it was not the kind of word that you could say the uppity crowd would have used in their vocabulary. It was a working class word that described working class people. And this word of clothing yourselves was actually um, a, 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 what you would do with a garment that you would tie on to yourself that you would use a fastener to attach it to your body you would have some kind of clothing already but this word describes something that you would add to who you are and you would fasten it on with a belt or with actually a a, a very distinct kind of fastener and it was the uh, word that was used uh, repeatedly to describe the putting on of an apron and a, a very particular kind of apron, a putting on of a slave's apron, of a servant's apron. It was what you wore that would immediately give the indicator that you were here to do the work in the kitchen. You were here to serve those that were eating and it's contrast with one group of people that would be in the room to serve the table and the other group of people that would be in the room just to eat at the table and the instruction here for all of us is for us to put on this attire we are to put on the apron we're to tie it on and it describes what kind of apron that is. He says, tie this on, put this on, all of you, humility. Wear humility. Put on an apron of humility. Um, how does that resonate with your mind and heart right now? 
the instruction for us as followers or leaders, whoever we are, all of us, young, old, in between, wherever, whatever we are, for us to dress, clothe, fasten on an apron of humility. Some of you like jackets. Some of you like shoes. Some of you like hats. Some of you are like me and you like new shirts. I don't know why that is. I just think sometimes if, if uh, I, I just, I'd, I'd love wearing a new shirt every day. And, and I, I just, there's something that happens when I put a new shirt on that makes me kind of take a breath and I love the smell of a new shirt. I, I kind of dread the first time I have to wash the new shirt. And, um, and, and it just, I guess, kind of like the way it makes you feel. I've thought a lot about that this week and like, how does it feel to put on an apron? Do I like that? Do I like that thought of putting on the servant's clothing? And that's the instruction that Peter has given to all of the believers of different ages. That's the attire that we're to use. That, that word clothes, sometimes in the old days you would hear the word gird, G-I-R-D, gird yourselves up, put on this, attach it to you that's the attire that we are to wear now let's talk about the attitude in which we wear it the audience the attire the attitude the attitude is humility that's what we're to wear we're to wear the attitude of humility I remind you that when we think about the the work of the spirit in our heart in our life that humility is not one of of those uh, items that are listed as the fruit of the Spirit. When you see humility talked about in Scripture, you actually see that humility is an attitude. It's something that we choose. It's a willing decision on our part. It is an attitude of the mind. It's a, it's a, it's a, a positioning of the mind of lowliness. It is an emptying of self. It is a setting aside of self. It is a crucifixion of self. It is lowering our view of ourselves in the presence and in relationship with others. There's a definition that's out there for humility. And it is, I believe it goes something like this, that humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less now what I love about that statement is that it it makes a great bumper sticker it looks really smart on Twitter and it's pretty good preaching you know to just rear back and say something like that 
It's one of those statements you underline in, in a book you read and think, oh, that's good. And, 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 and there's, there's truth to that. There is a place in our life for when we relate to other people where we're not uh, self-defacing. Our, we're, we're not just beating ourselves up. We're, we stop thinking about self and we think more about other people. But there is more to the humility that's talked about here than just thinking of ourselves less often. There is actually a, a willingness on our part to lower ourselves, to put us in a place in our mind where uh, we, we, we get low. We put on the apron of service. We put on the apron of, 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 of humility. And, and listen... When, we, when I talk about thinking lowly of self, I want to clarify it in this way. It is not thinking low of self in comparison to others. This kind of humility is thinking low, lowly of self in consideration of God's grace. And the reason that we think lowly of ourself is because we come to this realism more and more and more it becomes a reality more and more and more that I have nothing I have nothing if not for the grace of God I am what I am which is a wretch which is a sinner which is one totally depraved now that depravity may have not fleshed itself out in every way but I am capable but God's grace broke through and he gave to me life that I didn't deserve and he gives to me blessings that I don't deserve and he gives me gifts that I don't deserve and in light of the fact that I am a debtor to his grace, I can put on the apron of humility day in and day out. I serve you, but ultimately I'm serving him. Philippians chapter 2, it gives that picture of how Christ emptied himself. He says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's talking about how they relate to one another. And then verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant. That's the apron. That was the that was what Jesus lived out when he approached to the disciples on the night of his betrayal and poured water in the basin and gird himself with a towel and went from disciple to disciple to wash their dirty feet. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And that's the... That's the instruction here Simon Peter had felt the holy hands of Jesus rub his dirty smelling feet and he comes to the believers uh, scattered across this region and it had to be replaying in his mind as he spoke to the shepherds of the flock and the youngers of the crowd and then all of the church together him thinking about how Jesus washed his feet the king of kings the lord of lords and he says here's how we live and I say this here's how we love here's how we love one another in your home the way you love your wife is to put on the apron the way you love your husband is to put on the apron. The way you love your parents, the way you love your children is to put on the apron. In the church, the way we bring all of our taste and backgrounds and preferences and operate together in the way that we find strength and joy and encouragement and fellowshipping together is we walk into the room wearing the apron of humility. And when we walk into the room, it's not about us. We walk into the room, and it's about others. And Christ has set this attitude, this picture with his life. And that's the attitude that we approach our relationships. And let me give you this next word, the alignment. You see the audience, you see the attire. You see the attitude, you see the alignment. He says in verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 6, humble yourselves, that's the instruction, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When we're put on the apron of humility, what we're doing doing and serving one another and loving one another is that we are putting ourselves under the mighty hand of God and can I say to you there is no place we want to be more than under the mighty hand of God the verse before this he says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposing the proud is the picture of his hand being against us. God giving grace to the humble is the picture of his hand being over us. It is us taking the alignment and saying, Jesus, if not for your grace, I have nothing. You are my king. You are my Lord. You rule my life. You lead my life. I, I place myself under your hand. 
that picture is used at least a dozen times in the Old Testament, the mighty hand of God. It's a picture of deliverance. It's a picture of strength that's used to describe the bringing out of the children of Israel from Egypt. Being under the hand of God at least means these four things. Maybe you pray, Lord, keep your hand on us. Lord, keep your hand on our church. Lord, put your hand on us. Please don't take your hand off. At least four things comes with from being under the mighty hand of God. The first is his presence. His presence is with you. And then it's his protection. He guards over you. And then it's his provision. He provides for you. And then it's his peace where he calms you. And that's why in this context it says, Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's saying that he, we can take everything that we worry about, everything that we're anxious about, and put it on him and get under his hand. And there we find his presence, his protection, his provision, and his peace. And we can rest under his hand. That's the alignment. Well, let me... Say a word fifth about the assurance. I mean, is that really safe in the world that we live in? Because it sounds like, y'all think about it, it sounds like when we walk out of these doors that nobody's talking to us about putting ourselves under. Nobody's talking to us about thinking of others first. It's you got to take care of self. you got to take care of number one. You've got to go for it yourself and we find that the way of Christ is down well, what assurance is there in that what happened to Jesus when he went to the cross he died he was buried what happened on the third day he rose and he was highly exalted. And the one who had left heaven and took on flesh and humbled himself endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that picture, that cycle, is given to us over and over and over again in Scripture. He says it right here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you and faith in Jesus Christ is the belief that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and in relationship with others believing that in the time that he knows is right he'll take care of the lifting and the responsibility falls on us. We do the lowering. He does the lifting. We do the lowering. He does the lifting. And in the economy of God, we wear the cross. He places the crown. We take up the cross and follow him. He's in charge of the crown and the assurance here is that he knows he 
cares. He can be trusted. So here's the application and we finish up. The apron of the servant is always in style. It's the humble brand. It is the call to the Christian. If all of these one another's give us the definition of what it means to love one another, this last one that we're looking at, gives us the position for living out all of those one another's. The only way that you and I are going to forgive one another, bear with one another, do good to one another, encourage one another, the only way that we're going to have our eyes on one another is for us to clothe ourselves with humility, to dress the apron. Caleb's going to come and just give us a chance for just a little bit to contemplate this. To chances he plays and sings for us to search our life. I, I, I want to encourage you to look at your marriage. Guys, are you, are you wearing the apron in your home? Are, are you wives wearing the apron? Kids, parents, in our relationship, how much would change if we walked in humility in our home? Are you wearing humility in your groups, in, in this church? Do, do you, just search, let's, just, let's just spend some time thinking about that. And where the Spirit of God puts His hand, just confess it. Agree with the Spirit and repent of it. And let's, let's make sure we're wearing the apron when we walk out of here.